Welcome to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. I am Pastor Roland Kennison, and I want to thank you for listening. Rosemont Baptist Mission is passionately bringing people face-to-face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that through this podcast, you will hear our passion for the gospel and people's need to hear it, and that you will truly experience the transformation that only Jesus Christ can bring. Today, we're going to continue our series in the Gospel of Matthew. I pray you find the following sermon encouraging and challenging and will build you up in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one more thing before we begin. If any of the sermons in our podcast have been helpful to you, would you please let us know? It would be a great help and blessing to us to know that this ministry is being used by God in your life and ministry. You can simply send me an email at pastor at rosemontbaptist.org. Now, let's begin our time today. We're going to be in Matthew 11 in the first six verses, so you can turn in your Bible there or or turn on your Bible on your phone or however you read, and, and let's, let's read God's Word together. And it says this in, in Matthew 11, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his twelve disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now then John, while in prison, heard the works of Christ, and he sent word by his disciples. And he said to him, Are you the expected one? Or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Let's pray over our verses this morning. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the ministry of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection that, that pays for our sin, covers our sin, purchases a place in heaven for us, and gives us eternal life even now. But God, sometimes in this world things happen and we don't understand and it kind of shakes us. It begins to give us different directions, and I pray you help us stay on track today that you give us what we need to stay faithful to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you, if you watched our Thursday night time in the Word over the last few weeks, you, you probably have heard this story, but I'm going to tell it again. Um, when I was in seminary, I uh, went to Fort Worth, and there's no geographical points of direction there. That is to say, I was in Colorado Springs for like 20 years before that, or maybe not 20 years, 10 years, whatever it was, and, and Pikes Peak was always to the west, no matter where you went. So if you were driving and Pikes Peak was on your left-hand side, you know you're going north. If it was on your right-hand side, you were going south. And if it was in front of you, you were going west. And if it's behind you, you're going east. There's a, you could look up anywhere in the city And you look up, and there's a 14,000-foot mountain right there that you say, okay, I know where west is, so I know where north is. Point of direction. Go down to Fort Worth, there's nothing. 
There's, there's nothing down there that tells you where you're at. So I'm lost. I'm lost all the time. And I'm from a smaller town, so Fort Worth's huge. So I don't know where I'm going. And so I think, okay, what I'll do is I'll buy a compass, and I'll put it right on my dash, and I'll know where I'm going. So I put this compass right there on my dashboard, so I got my speedometer and all that right there, and my compass, so when I drive, I know where I'm going. So I turn on my car, and I drive Jessica to her school, and I notice we're going east. And I thought, okay, Jessica's school is east from our house. I got that, kind of plug it in my memory. I go on then to to go to the store one night, and I'm driving at night, and I noticed the store is east from our house as well. And I thought, I was pretty sure this was going to be south, but it says east, so I'm going east. And then we go to church, and uh, the church is also, by the way, going east. It's east from our house. And I thought, man, I was sure this was west. But the compass is the compass. It's saying it's it's. It's east, so I'm driving, and I start noticing everywhere I go in Fort Worth is east. Everything is. And what I, what I realize, I'm sitting in my car, and I look, at my, I look at my compass, and I'm just sitting there. I haven't turned it on or anything. It's north. It says north. And I turn on my car, and I haven't moved anywhere, and it spins to say I'm going east. What has happened is my tachometer is spinning and it's creating a little magnetic field. <laughs> and north, just it pulls that magnet. I sit it right beside my tachometer. And it just says anywhere I'm going is east because the, the compass is pointing the wrong direction. So the moral of the story is that I was continually lost in Fort Worth the entire time I was there. And I never got my bearings. Actually, that's not the moral. The moral is it's hard to find the correct direction when you got false indicators happening all the time. You, ca- you can't get your way when there's false, false indicators coming at you and telling you this is the way when you say, I'm pretty sure this is the way. But, but the indicators are all going this way. It's hard to stay on track when everything in this world is pointing a different direction than true north. And that's the spiritual lesson I hope we learn today. It's hard to find the right direction spiritually when you have false indicators pointing in a false direction. When pain enters your life, when trials begin to happen, when we experience loss, we begin to think that our spiritual compass is is giving false indicators. And there's a danger of getting lost. Danger of, of getting off track, getting off course, unless we hold on to the stabilizing influence of Jesus into our life. That we hold on to him. Now as we continue through here through Matthew, we're entering a new section of Matthew. And, and I won't go into all you know, remembering how we've broken up Matthew, but he has just given his disciples instructions on how to go out into the world how to go out into this world and, and do his ministry. And now he is going to give them teaching on really what it is to follow him, discipleship. And, and we have different stories of belief and unbelief. And the first story we have here 
is, is a story of unbelief from a surprising place. It's from John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And you know, as believers, we might be able to, to, to relate to John the Baptist. There are times when, when life is confusing and, and there's a struggle going on and we're not exactly sure what we placed our faith in will sustain us. It's times, that we need a tr- it's times like that we need a true compass, something that points to true north to, to settle our confusion, to clarify those questions, to get us back on track during hard times. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And, and so while, to, to how do we stay on track? How do we, how do we find that true north? Well, well, first, we need to remember that Jesus operates differently than we expect. Jesus operates differently than what we would anticipate him to, to uh, act sometimes. If you look at, at verses 1 through 3 here, we, we see it says, When John finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John, while in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples. And he said, Are you the expected one? Or shall we look for someone else? Now, last week, I think Pastor Michael painted an awesome picture of this scene, and I'm not going to belabor the point just to make sure. Uh, I'm going to say a little bit about it in case you weren't here last week, but, but John the Baptist is in prison. He's in prison because, because he, he has called out Herod Antipas, who has taken his sister, his sister-in-law, as his, as his bride, and he is, he is said that is unrighteous, that is not right, and he's been put in prison, and he's waiting to be killed. But Herod hasn't killed him yet because the people like John the Baptist, and so he's trying to figure out what to do. We read about this in Matthew 4, about John the Baptist being in prison. Matthew will talk about this more in depth in Matthew 14, where John is actually beheaded. But John is sitting in prison. He is discouraged. He's afraid, possibly, of being put to death. And he, uh, I suspect, doubt begins to create, creep in. And, and the disciples begin bringing reports of what Jesus is doing. Here's the, they said, you know, they bring in his reports of the outside world. And he begins hearing what Jesus is doing. And it's different than what he anticipated. He expected Jesus to be a little bit more like him. John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. I mean, if you, you, you read the Old Testament prophets, they are railing against the religious leaders. They are saying there is a lot of, of, of condemnation, a lot of, of harsh things being said. Listen to what Jesus, or John's expectations of Jesus' ministry is in Matthew 3, 11 and 12. He says, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his fleshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn, and he'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, to be sure, that is Jesus' ministry. But 
That's really more talking about his second advent. Because we, heard, we know that Jesus came to save the world. First, he came as Savior and Redeemer. Next, he's coming as judge. But John is like, I am about this judgment. I'm about fire and clearing out the chaff and clearing out the floor. But Jesus isn't doing that. Jesus is hanging around tax collectors. He's hanging around sinners. We read in Matthew 9, 14, he didn't, he didn't fast like John fasted. So what kind of Messiah was he? He wasn't what John anticipated. And so John sends some of his disciples to see. Are you the coming one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Like I said, John's the last of the Old Testament prophets. And in Matthew 3, 7, just before the verses we talked about, we see that he, he saves a lot of his condemnation for those who are religious leaders. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. That's not what you say to win friends and influence people, right? You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruit, keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that these stones, with these stones, God's able to raise up children to Abraham. And he says, the ax is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John was about getting rid of the wickedness, getting rid of, of, of those who are wicked. He was about their punishment. He was the original hellfire and brimstone preacher. He was saying, stuff's coming, and look out. We read in Matthew that his, his message is, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. I mean, he's saying, all y'all out there listening to me, John says, y'all are sinners and you need to turn. I mean, it is, it is, it is a message of condemnation. And it needed to be there. I'm not, I'm not bad-mouthing John's message. But what John didn't understand is that Jesus' first coming had a different emphasis. He came for a different reason. John 3, 17 tells us that the, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And we read in 2 Peter, 2 Peter 3, we read about the mission of the Savior. It says, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And a little later in 2 Peter 3.15, it says that the patience of the Lord is salvation. Jesus is about 
salvation. He is about bringing people into the kingdom of God. That is his mission. That is what he wants to do. And John was about, he, he had to preach the message that there is sin in your life. You must repent of that. That is, a, that, that is necessary. That is the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus takes it away. And so he acts differently than we think. And there's times in our lives that Jesus acts differently than what we think should happen. We're going along and we're saying, hey, I am, I am going to church, I am reading my Bible, I am praying, I am giving to the church, and then I get hit with some sort of sickness. God, that's not the deal. But that's not, that isn't the deal. That's not what he promised us. We say, I am sharing my faith with this friend, and, and they, are, they are not only just not listening, but they are cursing at me and, and mad at me. And I thought there was supposed to be some, some work that we were doing here together, the Lord. But he acts differently than what we might expect. When we look at the tr trial in our life, the pain the issue that might be bringing doubt into our life, we need to remember that Jesus works a little differently sometimes than what we would expect him to. One of the early 1900 evangelists and pastors that were out there, Oswald, Chamber, Oswald Chambers, he was a Scottish evangelist and teacher, and he wrote a book, My Utmost for His Highest, and he wrote these words. It's a lengthy quote. It's longer than I normally do. But just, just listen to what he has to say. See if you can follow me with this. He's going to talk about wine, uh, the kind you drink. He says, God can never make me wine if I object to the fingers he uses to crush me. If God would only crush me with his fingers and say, now my son, I'm going to make you broken bread and poured out wine in a particular way and everyone will know what I'm doing. But when he uses someone who's not a Christian or someone I particularly dislike or some set of circumstances that I said I would never submit to and begins to make these the crushers, I object. I must never choose the scene of my own martyrdom, nor must I choose the things God will use to make me broken bread and poured out wine. His own son did not choose. God chose for his son that he should have a devil in his company for three years. We say, I want angels. I want people better than myself. I want everything to be significantly from God. Otherwise, I cannot live the life or do the thing properly. I always want to be guilt-edged. Like golden-edged. Let God do as he likes. If you're ever going to be wine to drink, you must be crushed. Grapes cannot be drunk. Grapes are, the on, are only wine when they have been crushed. 
I wonder what kind of coarse finger and thumb God has been using to squeeze you, and, and you have been like a marble and escaped. You are not ripe yet, and if God had squeezed you, the wine that came out would have been remarkably bitter. Let God go on with his crushing, because it will work his purpose in the end. I think that's just a a powerful message to say, you know what, God uses what he wants to in our life, and it may not be what we expect. And he's sometimes crushing us, but that's how you get the good wine. And so maybe you feel like God's crushing you right now. Maybe you feel like that, that there's this circumstance that is crushing you, and, and I just want to encourage you to think that's maybe what God's using to make you broken bread and poured out wine. Don't let your doubt keep you from letting God work in a way because you just don't like it or because it's not what you anticipated. Man, I'm the worst at the unanticipated thing. I am, don't ask my wife because she'll tell you that if something unexpected comes up, man, I am like, that is, that is not going to work with me. But that's how God works in the unexpected. John the Baptist was discouraged and, he, and doubt began to creep in because Jesus, not because Jesus wasn't powerful enough, but because he was working in a way that he didn't anticipate. So that's the same for us. When we're struggling in life, we have these preconceived ideas how Jesus should act and what he will do. And there's times in the middle of our circumstance we say to the creator and sustainer of life, the one who holds Adam's in place who holds all creation in his hand, we say, you know, I don't think you're doing this the way you should be doing this. I, I think I've got a better idea. Let me tell you how this, should be, how this should be playing out. If you work it out this way, that's gonna be best for me. Jesus operates differently than we expect. His goal is bigger than our comfort in life. His goal is bigger than the happiness that this world has to offer. He works differently. To keep on the right track, we need to remember that. He operates differently than we, we, we expect. We should also remember that Jesus acts according to his mission. He not only acts differently than we we can expect, but we can expect when he acts, he is doing things according to his mission. Look in verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5, Jesus answered and said, Go and report to John what you you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now Luke gives a clearer picture of of what what was happening. The disciples show up and he starts healing right then. And he says, now go tell them what you've seen. And you've heard that. 
He begins healing diseases, casting out demons, giving sight to the blind, and he says, go give this testimony to John. Go and testify what you see. We are to tell what we hear and see. That is our job. Tell what you hear and see. Jesus has done something in your life. At one point, you were lost. You were blind. You were lame spiritually. And Jesus changed you. And you can see and you can walk. You were dead and he raised you to life. And it's that kind of miracle that happened in your life. And, and we're to tell about it. And there's no one who can argue with you. They can't say, no, that didn't happen. Yeah, I was this guy and now I am not because of the grace of Jesus Christ in my life. And no one can argue with that. We are to tell what we hear and see. But we're also to remember what the Messiah is to do. He was trying to tell them, trying to show them what is the Messiah supposed to do. And he has six group of people here who are going to be changed by the Messiah. He says the blind would see, the lame would walk, the lepers would be cleansed, the deaf would hear, the dead would live, and the poor would hear the good news. And each of these is specifically addressed in Messianic promises. And he begins by saying... The eyes of the blind would see. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, look what it says. The eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, and the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. He talks about the blind and the deaf and the lame all in that verse. Jesus is pointing to what the Messiah would do. And here's something I think that's worth pointing out and thinking about. Throughout the whole Old Testament, there is no one, there is no one who healed a blind person. There's people who did all kinds of things, but no one healed a blind person. Elijah raised people up from the dead. Elisha raised a person up from the dead. They healed lepers. The prophets did a lot of miraculous things, but there's not a person in Scripture who healed a blind person. But Isaiah says the Messiah is going to heal the blind. And so what does Jesus tell John, his disciples? Go and report to John. What's the first thing he says? Go tell John that the blind receive their sight. I mean, look, raising from the dead, that would be awesome. That's an amazing thing, right? Someone who is dead and brought back to life, that's a powerful work of God. But for whatever reason, healing of the blind was, result, was reserved for the Messiah. And Jesus shows up, and he not only heals blind people, but do you know he healed blind people more than any other miracle? He raised one person from the dead, while he was walking on earth. Now he's you know, raising everyone from the dead. But you got what I'm saying. He, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He, he multiplied food to great quantities only twice. But you can read scripture and he's healing blind people a lot of the time. Because that's what the Messiah is going to do. He's pointing to himself as the one who is coming. John says, are you the one we're supposed to wait for? And he says, hey, disciples, go tell them. Jesus is doing the work. 
that the Messiah is supposed to do. He, he, goes, he, he goes on and says, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame to walk. He talks about the dead living. Isaiah talks about that in Isaiah 26. The dead will live. It says, the corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. Your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to departed spirits. The dead's going to live again, and the poor will hear the good news. Isaiah 61, an awesome verse. Jesus' first sermon was based out of this right here. Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. In Luke 4, Jesus gets up, he reads this verse, puts down the scroll, sits down and says, Today this is fulfilled in your presence. He says, I am the Messiah. John was asking, so all I'm saying is this, John's saying, boy, is Jesus the one we're waiting for? And Jesus doesn't really answer the question. He asks John, just like he always answers all his questions, with another question. He says, John, what's the Messiah supposed to be doing? Well, he's supposed to be healing the blind and lame and all that. And he says, so what am I doing? (laughs) You're healing the blind, the lame, raising people dead. So, So what's your answer, John? Am I the one or am I not the one? And he's just trying to make the point. John knew his Old Testament. John knew that Jesus was the Messiah. All I'm trying to get to is this. Jesus worked what the Messiah was supposed to do. He was working according to his mission. Yes, he sat with tax collectors and sinners, but he was giving sight to the blind. And yes, he wasn't fasting the way John's disciples were fasting, but he was raising people from the dead and, and giving lepers new life by cleansing them. If we're talking about Jesus' work in our life, Jesus is always working toward one goal, and that's to fulfill his mission. We have in every gospel real clear definition of what Jesus' mission is. Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Luke 19, 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus' mission was to save the lost from sin and death and to give them life through his death on the cross. That's what he was working toward. And everything Jesus does is for that purpose. When Jesus works in our life, it is to save us and then to work out that salvation, to, to mature us in that faith, and to bring others to him. It is about salvation. Jesus points to John. He, he points John to what the Messiah is supposed to do, and he says, look, the Messiah is 
Jesus is doing what the Messiah is supposed to do. Jesus is on mission, and he's doing what he's supposed to do because Jesus is always doing what Jesus is supposed to do. And my point as well is to say we are to stay on mission as well. We are to be on mission, on Jesus's mission as well. He tells his disciples to go out and continue his mission. He lays his hands on them, gives them the authority. We read in chapter 10, verse 1, and they are to go out and do his ministry. And we are to do that as well. So when we're trying to figure out what Jesus is doing in our life, we need to realize that whatever the issue is, Jesus intends to use it to further his kingdom, however that works. The former president of Lee University, his name was Charles Kahn. He wrote about a restaurant he called one day. He said he was in Atlanta, and he called this, he was in the Yellow Pages, and he opened up the Yellow Pages, and, and he saw this restaurant that said, Church of God Grill. And he says, well, that's an interesting name for a restaurant. So he called up to say, what, what's, what's this about? So he called him up, someone answered and said, Church of God Grill, how can we help you? He says, man, that's an interesting name. Where'd you get that name? He says, well, you know, we, we had a little mission down here, and we started a church, but we were having a little bit of financial trouble, so we started making chicken dinners to help pay for the bills. And, and people really liked those chicken dinners, so they kept coming for, for chicken. And so we got so busy with that, we kind of toned down or, or kind of weeded off some of the church services and eventually we just stopped the church because people liked the chicken so much and we just kept the name Church of God Grill. I mean this church forgot what they were about. <laughs> they didn't start, the people who started that church didn't say boy we want to give people good tasting chicken. No, they said they wanted to let people know about Jesus Christ but they forgot their purpose. And they got off track because they were having some financial crisis. That, uh, or, and, and that's that false indicator that we're talking about that started leading them off track where now they are a restaurant with God's name instead of preaching God's name. Jesus, I, I think Jesus had the same thing tempting him. When he fed the 5,000, in John's version of the gospel, it says that the people, once they found out that he could provide food like that, they said, we are going to make him king by force, is what it says in John 4. And I suspect the king of creation who came and humbled himself and walked on this earth thought, you know, that might be an easy way to become king again. And these false indicators started coming to his life, tempting him to get off purpose off track of course being the son of god and being perfect he he did not but there are times when those things come into our life the crisis financial crisis or or health crisis or or just interpersonal crisis they begin to to take us off course and we have to remember when Jesus is doing anything in our lives, he's acting toward his mission. He's working to bring salvation to someone or to mature your faith, but he is working in that way. 
I guess to put it another way is that this world is not about me. This world is not about you. It's about Christ. It's about the mission of God. It's Jesus doing what he needs to do for for us to be more like him and to build his kingdom. So when we're struggling through opposition in our ministries, in our, in our life, in, in whatever we're going through, we keep on track by remembering Jesus operates differently than we anticipate, that Jesus is always going to act according to his mission. And finally, we can remember that Jesus' methods may stretch our faith. Jesus' methods may stretch our faith. Look in verse 6. He simply says, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. He finishes with a little beatitude here. Remember the beatitudes from from Matthew 5 that it says, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. When we studied that, we said that the word blessed meant this, those who are having and experiencing God's favor. Those who are experiencing and having God's favor. That's what blessed is. A lot of people translate blessed happy. That, that's kind of it, but that's really not it because happy just communicates something else. It's not that we're just happy. It's that we're experiencing God's favor. That's so much better than happiness. Blessed is not happy in a secular way. It means the joy that comes from the presence and approval of God. Now, this beatitude is meant really for John, but we can all gather something from it. Jesus is telling John that it's easy to stumble in our faith when we limit Jesus. When we limit him with our preconceived notions that come from us instead of Scripture. See the word stumble here, or he who does not take offense at me. Some versions talk about stumbling. It's from, from the Greek word, and again, I, it, that we get the word scandalized from. It's, it's the word we get scandalized from. And originally means to ensnare an animal uh, by, by means of a trap. It came to mean to be to cause or to be caught or to fall or to cause to sin. You take all this together, and this is what Jesus is saying. You experience God's favor when you're not tripped up because of what Jesus did. You experience God's favor when you're not tripped up in your faith because what Jesus is doing in your life. You might not like the, the trial you're going through. No one does. And I'm not minimizing it. I'm just saying, I, I get that it's painful. And if it's a health issue, if it's someone that you've lost, it, if, it is, if it is a financial crisis, if it's work-related, whatever it is, at that moment it feels like it's crushing you. It's everything about your world. And he says, you experience God's favor if you don't trip up your faith because of it. Trust what Jesus is doing. He operates differently than we expect, and that stretches our faith. It it exercises that faith muscle so we're stronger. When you exercise a muscle, when you want to become stronger at something, you work and work, and it's painful. But you become stronger 
And that's the issue of faith as well. We have a loved one maybe who is sick and we pray and pray and pray for Jesus to heal them and that person does not, not only doesn't become healed, but that person dies. Does that mean he doesn't care for us or doesn't have the power to fix them? No. Does it mean that he plans to use that to bring a person to himself? Maybe, I don't know. but it would be Christ working. If Jesus healed that person, we would praise him and our faith would be strengthened for sure. And maybe many people would come to Christ through that. We, we just don't know. His ways are higher than our ways. We have to trust in him because we don't know what he's doing. Second Corinthians 1 Three through four says, Blessed be the God of, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It could be we're going through the thing, whatever it is, to receive God's comfort because there's someone going to show up in our life that we need to give that comfort to and minister to them right at the right time. When Jesus doesn't act according to our little preconceived ideas, it shakes our faith, it stretches our faith, but if we remain faithful, it will strengthen our faith. Y'all might remember who Corey Tinboom was. She was a Dutch watchmaker who worked with her family to, to hide Jews in their home from the Nazis. And they were caught, and her and her, her dad and sister, well, her and her sister ended up in Ravensbrück concentration camp. She has quite a story. She, she's passed on now. But she tells a story about when she was 10 years old. She said her and her father, who, who was a watchmaker, they were traveling on the train back home. He had gone someplace to buy a bunch of watch parts, and they were traveling home on the train. And she was reading a poem, and she didn't understand something in it, and she said, uh, Dad, what does sex sin mean? And he was real quiet for a minute. He looked at her and was real quiet. And, and, but instead of saying anything, he stood up and he took his case and he, from the overhead bin and put it on the ground. And he says, will you carry this off the train for me, Carrie? I mean, Corey. And she stood up and she picked, tried to pick up that bag that was full of watch parts and tools. And she was 10 and she just couldn't, she couldn't get it up. It was too heavy. And she said, I, I can't. Dad, I, I can't, it's too heavy. And he says, yeah, and I'd be a very poor father if I forced a little girl who could not handle that load to carry this off the train. And, she says it was, and he said it was the same way with knowledge. He says some knowledge is too heavy for children. They just can't carry it at the time. 
And he says, when you're older and stronger, you could bear this information, but for now, you must trust me to carry that for you. So he didn't tell her what, she, he didn't answer her question. He said, that's too much for you to carry at 10. I'll carry it for you for a little bit until you're older and stronger. And this is what she said about that. She says, I was satisfied, more than satisfied, wonderfully at peace. Were there answers to this and all my hard questions? Or, sorry, there were answers to this and all my hard questions. For now, I was content to leave them in my Father's keeping. And that's a great thought to take away with. Is that there are answers to your questions. But they... Apparently, if we don't know them, they're too heavy for us. But we can trust to keep them in our Father's keeping. And you know what? We might stand before God one day and say, okay, I got this list of questions, God, and I want to answer this, I want to answer that. But my guess is when we stand before God, all that's going to wash away. We won't care. We'll fall down and just worship Him and say, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Because the momentary light affliction that we're going through now is nothing compared to the glory that we have in heaven. And so when Jesus acts, it's going to stretch our faith. I know there are times we want answers. We want to know why. We want to know how long. We want to see the end at the beginning. But in this world and the time before we enter eternity, part of the curse of sin is not only the pain and suffering in this life, but it is the not knowing. But we can trust who God is. We can trust his goodness. We can trust and, and leave it in our Father's care. If John the Baptist could struggle with his faith, then there could be a time where we all struggle with our faith. And it's during those times we need to remember that Jesus might just do things differently. He's going to act, though, according to his mission. And that might stretch our faith. We need to, we need to be prepared for the strengthening. Is there an area which Christ is stirring your heart today? Is there an area he's crushing you in? trying to make that good wine, that poured out wine, that broken bread. Maybe you need to let go of some preconceived ideas of Christ, who he is and how he works. Maybe you need to let go of that. Maybe you've forgotten that Jesus' goal on this earth isn't our comfort, but it is the salvation of many. It's not to make us happy or wealthy or healthy. It is so the world will come to know him. Maybe your faith is being stretched right now because of something difficult you're going through and you need to turn it over to him. I'm going to have you bow your heads and think. I don't know what you're dealing with today and maybe your life is on track Praise God. Maybe there's someone you could be praying for. But my guess is we all got something, a health need, a family issue, a financial crisis, a 
a struggle, a trial, something that just might start springing in just a little bit of doubt. And today you just want to turn, turn it back over to him and say, I am going to trust you in it because you are a good father. And you want the best out of me. Heavenly Father, we come to you and ask that you would right now move. First, I just pray for encouragement and healing, God, for those who might be in a place of doubt, a place of being crushed or or some trial, pain, suffering they're going through. And they want to know why. They want to know how it's going to turn out. They want, to, they want assurances, and they're, we're, not, we're not getting them. So I pray for our faith. Like the man said, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Strengthen our faith. We do trust you. We know you love us. We know you care for us, that we are your children. For those who have trusted in you, they have been adopted into your family. And and you care for them. You have poured out the blessings of heaven. Ephesians says you've given us every spiritual blessing under the heavens. Just sometimes it may not feel like it. So I pray that in the middle of our doubt, we would turn that into faith. And you would strengthen our faith in you. God, just work now to bring healing and peace in every circumstance. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. We pray the Lord will use this sermon to help you in your life and ministry. If you found this podcast helpful, would you consider contributing to our ministry? You can give online at www.rosemontbaptist.org forward slash give. If you live in Western Colorado or you're visiting the area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning. Our services start at 1045 a.m. You can also watch our worship service live through our website at rosemontbaptist.org. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.